Where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Where is God? The West Coast is on fire. Hundreds of thousands of acres are burning. All of that smoke making air hardly breathable for many. The South and the East of our country are bracing for hurricane season as a Category 4, almost 5, storm approaches New Orleans today. COVID continues. As the Delta variant uh, abounds, we're masking up again while hospitalization is at its highest point since last year. Meanwhile, there's crisis across the world in Afghanistan as people flee and fear for their lives. Where is God? And, and that's just the stuff that's going on out there in the world, right? I mean, this perpetual crisis that we have been in for a year and a half is not instead of the internal struggles that we often face. It's in addition to those internal struggles. I mean, we continue to face anxiety, depression, fear, sickness, loneliness, fill in the blank. Where is God? You know, I, I was really struggling with this question uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, around February or so, COVID was still limiting most of the things that we could do. And after almost a full year of it, this introvert that I am was finally starting to feel lonely. Uh, there, there were the continued societal divisions that weighed very heavily on my heart. Uh, the, one of those sort of personality kinds of, of profile things, uh, my type is called the peacemaker. And so paying attention to all of this conflict over and over again is just heartbreaking and exhausting. And so, and, and in addition to that, I, I was feeling discouraged in, in ministry at that time. I mean, most of us were still pretty dispersed early this year. And so even though I was still preaching and, and teaching and doing this kind of stuff, I, I felt cut off from many of you. And you know, ministry is not just about preaching. It's, it's about people. It's not just about content. It's about connection and I was feeling very disconnected. At this very same time, there were a number of different health concerns and crises going on with some family members, and despite pursuing medical treatments and continuing to pray, nothing seemed to be changing. And so I found myself asking this question, where are you, Lord? I remember so clearly one Sunday afternoon just asking that question, God, where are you? You know, I had just preached a sermon that morning, and then here I was later on in the day wrestling, and I actually talked to God about that. I said, God, it's my job to get up every week and talk about you. What are you doing? Where are you in all of this? 
I mean, have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt any of these things? Have you ever looked around at the world or your own circumstances and just wondered, where are you, God? Has God abandoned me? Has God forsaken me? We're not alone in asking this question. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is where we are today as we continue our way through the Psalms. And this Psalm grapples with that same question. Where are you, God? And it was not only the psalmist who asked this question. Many of you will know Jesus himself prayed Psalm 22 as he hung on the cross. You cannot read a gospel account of the cross without reference to Psalm 22. All four gospels reference this psalm as they tell the story of Jesus on the cross. And so just as Jesus reveals God to us on the cross, so this psalm shows us the depths of God's heart. And so this morning, the question that that we hold before us is, is God a God who abandons? Is God a God who forsakes? Because the psalm responds to that question. But we have to read the whole psalm to see the answer. So let's read Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our ancestors, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others, despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. And yet, it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you, I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. Oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise and the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that you are a God who is with us. God, I pray as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for followers of Jesus, there are so many familiar phrases, images, actions, references, all throughout this psalm. And we'll reflect on those this morning. But before we go there, I just want to consider the psalm in and of itself. What does it have to, to teach us, to show us in the midst of our times of suffering, pain, doubt? You see, there are a few things that stood out to me as I considered this psalm this week. 
the very first thing right from the beginning is honesty. Honesty. When we are facing pain, doubt, struggle, suffering, it is essential for us to be honest. Uh, All too often, the church in particular has been a place where people often look like they have it all together or feel like they should have it all together. And so our laments about pain, our questions about doubt about God have not been welcomed at church, have not been welcomed among the people of God. We often have this idea, oh, I shouldn't be thinking this thing. I shouldn't be asking this question. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so we suppress those things and end up living in a state of denial and just pretend like everything is okay. Uh, Meanwhile, Psalm 22, right out of the gate, is just brutally honest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. I'm crying out, but you're not answering. I call out at night, but I can't get any rest. I mean, right from the start, the psalmist is just honest about their experience. And you can hear sadness, grief, pain. You can hear this frustration and anger even. But a lot of times we feel like we can't talk to God that way, right? When we pray, we bow our heads, we fold our hands, we close our eyes, we speak quietly and softly and properly. In a lot of ways, I think we have become more pious than the Bible. And that's not healthy. It's not right. We think, I shouldn't talk to God that way. But the psalmist just lets loose, right? Uh, The phrase at the end of verse 1, words of my groaning, is literally roaring words roaring words, like a growl. These words are not spoken quietly and properly. They're roared. They're shouted. They're groaned out to God. They're angry, frustrated, desperate words. Whenever Jesus quotes this psalm, these words the Gospels tell us that he cried out with a loud voice and said this. And so these words are not proper and pious. They're raw and vulnerable. And so the Psalms teach us that in the midst of suffering, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. God can handle us. God can handle our honesty. Not only can he handle it, God wants us to bring the fullness of ourselves to him. So don't hold back with God. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with God. That's 
the first thing that I really see in this psalm, something else that stands out to me from it is all of the imagery throughout it. I mean, verse 6, I am a worm. Verse 12, many bulls encircle me. Verse 16, dogs are all around me. That's not like dog as in like a man's best friend. This is like a coyote, a jackal. Like this is something that you don't want to be close to in the wilderness, right? After, one thing after another, there are all these wild animal images. It's like National Geographic gone really wrong. And then verses 14 and 15 have another set of images. I am poured out like water. My heart is like wax melting within me. My mouth is, is dried up like a potsherd. That's like a dry, cracked piece of clay. And now, if we think of all these images, maybe this is kind of expected. I mean, it's a psalm after all. It's poetry, right? It's all these different images are, are coming in. But I think, in many ways, this imagery shows us a way of processing in the midst of our suffering and our doubts. You see, it's important to be honest about our experiences, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. As we process our experiences it is helpful not only to recognize, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, whatever it may be, but also to go deeper into that. And so, uh, are there you know, any words or images that describe what you're going through? That can help you enter more deeply into that experience. I mean, this is why stuff like, like counseling or spiritual direction is really helpful. Because as we sit with someone else and process, we begin to put words to our experiences. We enter them more deeply and in turn are opened up to receive more uh, deeper healing as we bring that to God. Verse 17 says, I can count all my bones, uh, which could be a, a reference to sort of starvation and physical pain, but, but uh, one of the commentaries I read said that this expression could also be a way of saying, I feel all my feelings, right? I can count all my bones. All these things that are in the depths of me, I'm aware of them. I feel them. I can count every one of them. These things have come to the surface. You see, when you are in the midst of pain and doubt, I encourage you, take some time to journal, to create, to make something, right? Maybe it's, it's not words and phrases uh, and, and writing down images. Maybe it's drawing or, or music or something, right? These things bring healing to our hearts. So enter into these things and see what emerges. We're not only to be honest, but we are to, to deeply enter in and process what is it that we're experiencing. But there's something else 
that I also see in this psalm. Because throughout the psalmist not only enters more deeply through all of these images that are being used, but there's also this sense in which the psalmist backs up from time to time to get a wider view of things. You see, pain has a way of narrowing our perspective. In the midst of suffering or doubt, it can be very easy to feel like this is all that there is and to just feel hopeless. And so as much as it is important to enter more deeply into our experience, it is also vital that from time to time we also back up to get a wider perspective of what's going on. And we see this back and forth pattern throughout the psalm. I mean, it opens up, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, entering into that experience. But then in verse 3, yet you are holy. In verse 6, but I am a worm and not a human. And then verse 9, and yet it was you who took me from the womb. And then verse 14, I am poured out like water. But in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Do you see this pattern, right? I, yet you. But I, yet you. But I, yet you, right? On and on it goes, this back and forth. And, and in many ways, this is a pattern for spiritual warfare. It reminds me very much of Jesus in the wilderness with the devil, right? This constant back and forth between temptation and trust, between doubt and deliverance. This is essential for us in the midst of suffering. As our perspective narrows and doubts press in, we have to be reminded of God and who God is. I mean, in, in verses 3 to 5, the psalmist looks back to the story of Israel, right? It's very likely a reference to the Exodus, right? And, it's, and you, our ancestors, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were saved, right? The, if you remember the story of the Exodus, the people cried out to God in the midst of their slavery, and God heard their cry, and he delivered them, right? And so the psalmist recalls this time when God delivered God's people and remembers who God is. He is the God who hears his people and saves them. He is the God who listens and delivers. And I love verse 3. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Right? God is present in the praises of his people. God is present in the praises of his people. This is why we gather to worship. Right? It's to be reminded that God is with us. 
God is with us, regardless of our experiences, of what's going on, of what we're facing. God is with us. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so even in the midst of challenges, we praise him. I mean, this is what we sang together just a little bit earlier. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. God is present in the praises of his people. Again, in verses 9 through 11, the psalmist interrupts his painful experience by remembering, yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe. From birth, you've been my God. So in the midst of pain, we do well not only to remember who God has been in this large, grand story of God's people, but also who God has been in our own story. Just take a moment, look back, recall a time when you experienced the goodness of God. Recall a time when you were able to trust in God and rest in those memories, rest in those moments. They don't erase the pain or doubt of the present moment, but they at least remind us that there is more than the pain of the present moment that this is not all that there is. There's more. That despite how things are going, God is good. And so the psalm's whole structure and the poetry of it shows us to be honest about our experiences, to enter more deeply into these experiences, but also to, to pull back and get a wider perspective on them as well. The psalm calls us to bring our pain and doubts to God, but also to bring God to our pain and our doubts. And so these are some of the things that we see in the psalm just by itself. But remember, as followers of Jesus, we cannot read this psalm without being brought to the scene of the cross. As we read this, these are the images, the scenes that come to mind. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus actually speaks the words of the psalm. He prays this psalm, or perhaps roars it, as the psalm says. In Luke and John, there are references uh, to this psalm also, right? And so all four Gospels pull from this psalm as it tells the story of Jesus on the cross. Let me just show you a few of these parallels. Well, I'll just stick with Matthew, all right? Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27, 35, when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Psalm 22, 7 and 8, all who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads 
Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Matthew 27, verses 39 to 43. Those who passed by derided Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple, build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, well, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. Or again, 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, verse 46, about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this line, spoken, from the cross has been the foundation of a theology that I think is hugely problematic. Many have taken this line in this context and concluded that on the cross, God the Father turned his back on Jesus. That in this moment, the Father forsook, abandoned Jesus. I remember thinking this when I was young. I, I have a very clear memory sitting in church. I had a little notepad that I was doodling on as a kid, and, and I was drawing a picture. And I drew a picture of Jesus on the cross. And then up in the top right corner where the sky was, you know, a little cloud, and I drew God the Father with a nice big fluffy beard, and his face was turned away from Jesus as he was on the cross. There's even a song that some may have sung that has a line that specifically says, the Father turned his face away. I've sung that song before, and it's always moved me quite a bit. You see, I think this is something that many of us think or feel somewhere deep down. But if we're not careful, God is going to abandon us. That there are certain circumstances in which God turns away. It's an idea that I had growing up. But the more that I have studied Scripture and theology, and really just gotten to know God, grown in Christ, the more I am convinced that that is a downright lie. It is not true. This understanding of the psalm, this understanding of the cross, is just not true. It's just problematic. I mean, just think about basic Christian theology, right? Do you guys remember the ancient summary of the faith, the creed? I believe in God, the Father, 
Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? We believe in God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God in the flesh. But if the Father is God, and Jesus is God, well then how does God forsake God? God cannot forsake God. It's just bad theology. I mean, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And yet this idea of abandonment at the cross would seek to separate them from one another. And it runs even deeper than, than you know, just sort of theoretic theology, right? Uh, it brings us back to that opening question. Where is God? Is God a God who abandons? Because if God forsakes his own son on the cross, well, then why wouldn't he forsake us? Why wouldn't he forsake you or me? To say that God abandoned Jesus is to say God is a God who abandons his children. That's not true. It's bad theology. And it's not only bad theology, it is a poor reading of Scripture. Ancient Jewish tradition teaches us that to speak one part of a passage is to evoke the whole passage. To say the first line of a psalm is to, to mention and, and bring forth the whole psalm, right? It's like us saying a song title. You don't just mean the words in the song title. You mean the whole song, right? The whole thing. This psalm is not about God abandoning God's people. This idea that God abandoned Jesus on the cross or that God would abandon any of us comes not from Scripture, but from our own shame. It, it comes from the very same impulse that led Adam and Eve to hide in the garden, to, to cover themselves up. But remember, even in that moment, God pursued them. Hey, where are you? Right? This idea does not come from Scripture. It comes from our shame. Let me show you what Scripture says. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all of you, offspring of Israel. For he did not despise the affliction of the afflicted. He did not despise the suffering one. He did not hide his face from me. But he heard when I cried to him. This is the truth of Scripture. If Psalm 22, verse 1, were all that we had, 
well, then maybe God is a God who forsakes his people. And if the cross is all that we had, well, then maybe God is a God who leaves people to die. But the psalm doesn't end with verse 1. And the gospel doesn't end with the cross. We know that God did not abandon Jesus because on the third day, he rose again. God did not abandon Jesus to the grave. He brought him back. God does not abandon his children. He is with us. And so when we look to the cross, it is not a picture of God abandoning in the midst of suffering. It is God present in the midst of suffering. It is God himself taking on that suffering in his own body and offering his own blood to redeem us and save us and deliver us. And you know, the psalm could very easily end with verse 26, right? He is singing praises and he says, may your hearts live forever. That would be a great ending. But even then, it continues. Because this psalm is not only about the, the one who suffered in the psalm being saved by God, but it goes on. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations, right? This goes to the ends of the earth. God, not only did God not abandon Jesus, God has not abandoned anyone. He is present to the ends of the earth. To him, indeed, verse 29, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Those who bow down and go down to the dust, even death can't separate us from God. Even in death, God still reigns and will bring death to its end. Posterity will serve him. Future generations be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying, he has done it. God is with his people, right? The, the parallels continue, right? We saw all of those parallels in Matthew already. But the psalm goes on to say, to the ends of the earth, God is with his people. Well, Matthew ends this way, with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and so go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Whenever you are in the midst of suffering and doubt, recall to mind God did not abandon Jesus at the cross. He will not abandon you. Amen.